Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, we wrap up our first quarter message series on stewardship. As we've looked in depth at each of the three major areas of stewardship, our time, work, and money, this morning, we will examine three more that, interestingly enough, help us reveal the character of God himself within our stewardship. Thanks for listening as we seek to unite our obedience to manage what belongs to God with worship. Well, when I was in high school, I had opportunity to run uh, my own little lawn care business. Uh, a lot of folks over in the Spread Eagle area uh, would be coming back up for the winter months. And of course, if there was a young kid that would mow their lawn, they'd be willing to pay them. And we were, that was a win-win. Everybody was pretty happy with that. There was one family in particular uh, who on their lake, uh, I, I think they were doctors, um, and uh, their name was the Nordines sweet, sweet people. Uh, And they asked me to do a little bit more than any of the other families. They wanted to hire me as what felt more like a, like a handyman or like a groundskeeper for their, their whole place. And if anyone lives over in the lakes or you know what it's like when you haven't raked your maple leaves for years upon years, they can stack up and it gets a little mucky and smelly and I mean, I was just a high schooler. I mean, I remember being a kid thinking, I, I don't know if this is quite the gate. I just want to mow the lawn. I'm, I'm not wanting to dig out the mold from in between the rocks. Um, and I can remember in my own frustration finding that my own work level began to drop a little bit, right? You could see this with a high school attitude. Uh, well, my dad showed up one day. I, I forget why he showed up there, uh, but he, he, he said, hey, bud, let's show me what you're doing here. Walk me around. And I proceeded to go and show him all the parts that I was frustrated with. And he had a completely different perspective than I did. His perspective was, imagine how grateful the Nordines are going to be when they see this look the way that it's supposed to. And I I can remember he had this extra pep and energy as he would dig in there with the leaves and rake them out, which kind of got me going a little bit more. He'd look over at trees and he'd say, yeah, it looks like that limb needs to go and this one's falling over. So he busts out the chainsaw and pretty soon what I had as a small job turned into a big job, but he changed my perspective. In fact, I have a little picture of that time. You'll see that even at this young age, I still don't know how to listen to a compliance officer for ear protection. Um, (laughs) But I'll never forget how my dad helped me to see that the work itself was being done for those who owned it. And I didn't own it. It wasn't mine. I was being hired as a manager. And the quality of my effort was dependent on how I viewed working for them. I want to submit to you all that the same is true for us as we think of our role as Christians. That we live in a world that we don't own. You heard it this morning from Psalm 24. The world belongs to who? It belongs to God. The fullness of the world belongs to God. He owns it. You and I aren't owners of it. Everything that you think you have, even the food in your cupboards, the clothes on your back, these have been given to you, entrusted to you by the owner. And so we are in this study, and as we have been for so long, recognizing that we're managers of these resources that God has given us, we've looked at three unique areas. So our time, our work, and our money. For this morning, uh, as we're wrapping up, I thought there's more that we've been entrusted with. God has really given us so much more. 
Uh, and as I gave contemplation over what, what are those areas that would just be important for us to wrap up, uh, seeking to look at stewardship as an act in itself of worship to God, meaning the way that we manage these resources, it really isn't something that, ta- that ought to stay segmented from the development of the rest of our Christian faith where we are worshiping God through our stewarding of them. And the three areas that came to my mind were um, uh, our bodies, our families, and the gospel, which, as I'm looking at the screen now, probably should not have picked a purple font, but hopefully you can still read that. Our bodies, God's, God's given you this, this vessel. So some of us have got different shapes than others, right? Some of us different ailments than others. Nevertheless, part of how we maintain and take care of uh, the physical vessel of our bodies is something that has been given to us by God, to which at one day, according to God's foreordained timing, he will call back. How about families? I think that the most acute way that you and I ought to understand this in our progress towards worshiping through stewardship is our immediate family. So those of us who have uh, spouses, number one, uh, after this, children, immediate family. And then beyond that, as you look to parents above or cousins and uncles, uh, nieces and nephews across the board, uh, you and I have been entrusted with a family that God wants us to steward well. And then certainly not least of all, the very gospel has been entrusted to the church. This is where we read in the book of Jude that Jude can't even encourage the church up until the point that he asks them to fight for the faith. Why? Why, church, should we fight for the faith? Because God's entrusted it to us. It seems every week that, uh, that goes by, I encounter some new form of pollution to the gospel that's coming through our world today. Sometimes I think it can't get any more devious or, or disgusting in our world, but nevertheless, every week seems like it does. And so for those of us here who want to say, no, I believe we need to stand firmly to fight for that faith that has been entrusted to us, you and I should expect the promise from Jesus' words. In this life, you will have trouble. In the Apostle Paul, as he speaks to Timothy, that anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. So it's going to take effort. It's going to take intentionality, and it will take stewardship. But I want to remind you, if you and I go into stewarding anything that we've looked at, including these three, with this ho-hum, begrudging attitude, I guess i got to rake these leaves. Are you doing it right? Is that what God wants out of us? That there, that there actually is a proper perspective for us. And so my challenge for us today as we wrap this up is to see our stewardship as worship. It's a little convicting, isn't it? Have you thought of how you take care of your body as something that you would steward in order to worship God? How you emphasize those values to your children? The time that you spend with intentionality, devotionally to worship God with your spouse? Is that worship? For you in your life? And how about our stance to protect? As you heard from Ted this morning, to get to know the, the manual that God has given to us. That do we know the gospel? Could we, if we were the ones that God chose sitting next to somebody who needed to hear it, could we articulate and share with it? Both with the words that would come out of our mouths and with the character of our lives and the demeanor of our attitudes? 
I, I, want, I want us to see that this for us should be an endeavor worthy of our effort and energy. Not because you have to, but because you are serving the God to whom all of it belongs to. And so that's our, that's our study for morning, this morning. That's where we want to go. Um, one, one place that I'd like to begin, as I gave evaluation over these three, the Lord kept bringing to my mind some passages of Scripture that seemed to unite the three, which I found peculiar. You wouldn't think that these three would all really go together, but it seems throughout Scripture they tend to. So three quick passages. The first here out of Romans 1. Paul says as he's encountering the wrath of God being seen, Poured out onto the world, he says, therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with, with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. We've, we've looked at this before in the past, right? You, you see the very first corruption that happens when you let go of the gospel is with the body. Sexual immorality uh, of which has an influence into the family. In fact, just to highlight for you, uh, here's the verses that speak about the body. Here are the ones that speak about the family, right? Men and women no longer... Um, with one another, and God's design was in the garden. And finally, why did all this happen? Well, because they didn't believe the gospel. Because they didn't think the gospel something to be retained and championed. Or this passage from 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, he'll destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Here, temple for us is further defined in chapter 6 as our bodies. We, we did a series on this years ago, but I remember even as I think of it, does that scare you? Does that scare anybody? Because it kind of scares me. <laughs> that God's spirit lives in me. And this being the temple of God, how, how, is, how is this fleshy body responding to the indwelling of God? A lot of conviction there. So that's the body. Family shows up at the end, but this isn't now just your immediate family. This is the church as a family. That we are called, even a few chapters later, a building that's being grown. So this concept of a temple to be seen as the family of God. And if you were to back up a little earlier in chapter 3, you would have seen how he speaks here specifically in the context of the gospel. He says that he laid a foundation and that that foundation is Jesus Christ, that foundation being given through the gospel. One last verse, Ephesians 5. Uh, are, you, are you catching the relationship here? I'm, I, what I'm wanting to show you is how body, family, and gospel all seem wrapped up somehow by metaphor in the scriptures. So this one from Paul, he says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and take care of it. Just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so here you have bodies showing up. The relationship between a husband and a wife recognizes that family dynamic. And what does Paul say he's really talking about in this whole thing? What's the whole point of this? He's talking about Christ and the church. He's talking about the gospel. 
And so what, what I want us to see is that as we're, as we're wrapping this up, God has given us a few more areas that I'd like to just tuck in right here at the very end, uh, that together we would see their, um, their connection and that we could understand our stewardship of them as worship. If you would look with me in your uh, scriptures, we're just going to look at uh, some short verses here in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, Paul's writing to a church that has much confusion. Uh, not only are they often uh, led astray by those who they think they ought to be following, but there is a disparagement against even following Paul. Paul uh, here, more than anywhere else, is having to defend his authority as an apostle. And so that's where we're going to kind of pick up the story. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, is going to be giving his own personal understanding of God's gifting on him and those who work with Paul. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look with me starting in verse 1 and 2. Paul says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. That, that right there would have humbled everybody else who was pining for the attention of the churches in Corinth. Because Paul doesn't call himself champion or the leader or the, the mighty creator of the whatever. What's he call himself? You see? He's a servant. In fact, you can look at the beginning of so many of his letters. He, he, he says, I, Paul, sometimes Timothy, the beginning of Philippians, the beginning of Romans... He says, we are slaves of Christ. That's who we are. So here beginning, he says, so how should people look at us? Well, don't look at us as those in charge. Look at us as servants of Christ. But then we have a a conjunction here. Does your Bible say and? Is there something else that you need to understand here? Not just as servants, but also (laughs) as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Um, what Paul means by this, entrusted means stewarded. Some, some of your versions may even use the term stewardship here. That Paul has been given a stewardship. He calls it the secret things of God, which, which is a, a dual understanding of the gospel and the outworking of that gospel in the formation of a new people. I'm repeat that again. It's the gospel and then it's the influence of the gospel to shape your mind. To shape how you think. To retrain how you relate to one another. That task was entrusted to Paul. And so watch what he says in verse 2. He says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. There's more that we'll look at here in this passage. But just as we start off. Uh, I want to offer some um, concluding points here that we're going to hang our hat on for application. The first is when we look at stewardship, I want you to know that it is interconnected. Stewardship is interconnected. I, I, I tried to show that to us already as we're looking at the body and the family and the gospel. That even within God's word itself, you'll see how these are all related to one another. It's true with everything else that we've been studying as well. In fact, if you are treating your family, right, fathers, mothers, if you are treating your children in such a capacity that you're investing in them the gospel, do you know what that shows? That shows that you have a high opinion of what? Of the gospel. You know the reverse is also true? 
if, if you have, as parents are more interested in making sure that uh, the kids are zombied in front of Netflix so they're not bothering you, right? if that's, that's what you're looking at, do you know what that says about the gospel in your life? It's not up here. It's right down here. Um, how about our bodies? If, if we're not taking care of our bodies, how effective are we at parenting? How effective are we at the larger family of God? If, if we're not getting enough sleep, if we're not eating right, right? If there is, if there is uh, unproductive behavior that's happening within the bodies of God's people, how well is that going to lead you then to serve him? I, th- I think hopefully it's pretty accessible to see that your stewardship in one area is going to have influence in the other areas. I think of it like, uh, for an illustration, flying a small plane. Um, when I was a missionary, every now and then we got to take one of these little puddle hoppers, these tiny little two-seater planes, and head over to another, another island to, to do some ministry there. And one time I got to sit up in the cockpit with the pilot, which was what I thought awesome and then terrifying, but at the beginning it was pretty awesome. Um, and he actually, he let me fly for a little bit. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I was pretending like I was flying, right? Um, but here's the interesting thing in an airplane. If you change one thing, everything else changes. If you, if you change your speed, your altitude changes. If you change the flaps, your speed changes. If you change the rudder a little bit, uh, pitch and yaw, and someone help me out. What's the other one? You don't know either. I don't know. Yeah, there's like, see, that's why you shouldn't make me a pilot. But you get the point, right? The, the idea is if you, were to, if you were to change any one little characteristic of that, there's going to be an influence somewhere else. The same is true in your lives. When it comes to how you are handling your time and your money and your work, your attitude towards your own body and your family and the gospel, all of these are going to have an interconnected influence. So that it's not possible for you to just shirk on one of them and think that the others are fine. That's not how it works. God is recreating a humanity holistically. All of us, every aspect of our life. Because you know that God doesn't just want your time. It's already his. God doesn't want your money. It's already his. Do you know what God wants? Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants you. God wants you. He wants all of you, all of you. How, you, how you think about who you are, how you understand who he is. And so as, as we're looking at stewardship, this is the first thing that I want us to see is the interconnectedness of everything. Secondly, uh, I want you to see the primacy of the gospel. Right? There, there are a lot of things that matter when it comes to stewardship. You and I need to make sure that number one is the truth of the work of God on behalf of sinful man, because everything else will flow from that. I, I want to submit to you, if we get this wrong, if you, if you reject the gospel, it will do you no good to send money to church. If you reject the gospel, it will do you no good to eat healthy. It really won't. It, it'd be akin to uh, the, the stewards or servants aboard the Titanic. Uh, setting up new uh, flatware as the ship is going down. Do you guys, isn't there a story somewhere where the band was playing, right? Those dummies. <laughs> right? That, that's what it's like. If, if you have rejected the gospel, everything else is going down. And so you might polish up part of your life here or there, but none of it's going to last. 
I, I want you to see how this shows up for us throughout God's word. Uh, first, when it comes in con- context of the body, how we take care of the body in reference to the gospel. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, physical training is of some value. I was uh, uh, gone with my son the other day to the gym. Um, I was telling, I think, well, I forget which Bible study group this was, but there's this particular machine that works like a butterfly like this. And um, on the... Uh, on the machine, when we got there uh, at the butt crack of dawn, I mean, it was early, so early that they had already, like, reset the machine so that the arms were, like, way back here. And I, I can't get it to work. I mean, I, I look ridiculous. And there's this old guy who's there who sees me struggling. And he very kindly comes over and, and says, you know, you can adjust this right here. And, oh, oh, thank you, I said. I, my masculinity never felt so low in my whole life. <laughs> It's awful. That's okay. It's okay, right? Because why? Godliness is better. Physical exercise, physical training, it it has benefit in this life, right? I I know my muscles are sore. I actually feel good a little bit when I exercise. That's good. But you know what's more important? The gospel is more important. Godliness that flows out of our commitment to the gospel is more important. And so we don't want to make this similar mistake either, thinking that it's just what we do, uh, because it's the gospel that informs what we do. Here, this case in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And the question would be, well, how do I know what God's will is? Right? I, I believe Jesus. I know I need to have a living faith that's evidential in my life, but it's not a matter of me coming up with that on my own. Look, Lord, we did all these things. We prophesied in your name. We drove out demons in your name or performed many miracles. And Jesus will tell them plainly, depart from me because I never, never knew you. That's the gospel component. It needs to be number one in our life because everything else we do will flow from it. The, reform, uh, the reforming work, the transforming work of the gospel will also produce within us the reason why we do what we do. Uh, This from Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I'm only resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, it can fathom all mysteries and knowledge. And if I have faith, it can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. The gospel working its way in our lives, will change not only what you do, it'll change the reason why you do it. I also want to just highlight for you, as we have studied work and time and money, you might notice that the speaking here is describing an act of work, uh, our use of our time to uh, speak to all mysteries and knowledge and faith that can move mountains, and then finally money here at, at the end. Uh, Interesting, I, I thought, that those are the three areas that we've been studying, all of which require a refinement of love. Finally, this from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved. If. That's a, that's a scary little if, isn't it? By this gospel, you're saved. If. If what? Well, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. 
And I, I want to make sure that we don't make the mistake of, of doing good on stewardship, but failing to recognize the primacy of the gospel. For Paul even says in Galatians, as we've, as we've already said, so I and I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you've accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I trying to win the approval of man or human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? And if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So, um, so what is the gospel? The gospel is the truth of the historical reality of Jesus' lordship, resurrection, and death on the cross for sinners like you and I. That provides for you and the whole world an invitation to come and stop living for myself and instead live for him. That's the gospel. Seems a little simple, and yet it is under attack in our world. And it is under threat in many churches. I want to make sure that as we understand our work of stewardship, there's a lot that we've studied and looked at, right? And, and you, you could reconstitute your time, right? And you could reconcile your funds, right? We, we could do all the things that we've talked about already, but if we miss the primacy of the gospel, it's like playing the violin while the Titanic is sinking. All right, thirdly, there is an accounting. There is an accounting If you look with me back into our passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, after Paul says in verse 2 that you who have been given a stewardship, you must be proven faithful. He says in verse 3, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. He gives us an example of that in verse 4. He says, my conscience is clear. That's, That's good. That's helpful. Hopefully you and I could say the same thing. That doesn't mean you're right. That just means you may not have been, um, convicted yet on where you're wrong. And so Paul says the same thing. He says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motive of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. And so I want us to see that accounting needs to be an aspect of our understanding of stewardship. Which, let's look at it from two perspectives, right? Let's start, you, you're familiar with the met- metaphor of the carrot and the stick. You guys know what those mean? You with, hello, is this on? Hello? Yeah. You with me here? Car- carrot and the stick, right? Uh, stick is used with a little bit of sting, right? A li- little bit of, hey, there, there may be a price to pay in this if you don't do what you're supposed to do. Carrot is the idea of reward. Something to look forward to. And that's why I'm going to push on and work harder. I want us to know that the scripture gives us both of those as an understanding. In fact, a few verses here in James chapter 3 verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Same thing being shared in Hebrews 13. Uh, To the church, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. I'd like for us to look at one passage here as we're working towards our application. Um, you can hold your spot here in 1 Corinthians, but turn in your Bibles back to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 25. There's a verse, actually a parable, that we have um, referenced many times through this study, but we've never read the whole thing. And as we're wrapping it up today, I'd like us to just evaluate the whole thing because it fits exactly 
into our third and necessary conclusion when it comes to stewarding, which is accountability. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Jesus says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money to another two talents and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. What is that? What's that moment right there? Verse 19. Do you see what it is? That's an accounting. So, so what have you been given? You have a healthy body? You, you've been given time on this earth? How about resources and funds? Has the Lord blessed you with abilities beyond maybe what your neighbor has? How about a family? Many of you, fortunately blessed with many children, some with others, smaller. Who's the one that doled out all of these talents to you? Who is it? God's the one who's entrusted you with what you have. Look here, there comes a point of accounting. So verse 20, he says, The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. You cannot miss the response here. Because the response of this servant will characterize for us the understanding as to why he was able to produce five more. How did he respond to the person doing the accounting? Did you see it in verse 20? He calls him what? Master. He calls him master. Is Jesus your master? Is is, is Jesus your Lord? None of it's going to work unless he is. You, You will see no motivating effort to be given to utilize what you have for him if you're only focusing on how it looks to you. Additionally, look what he says. Uh, Master, he said, you entrusted me. Who who is this uh, servant giving the credit to for the entrusting? It wasn't my ability. It wasn't what I did. This was what you did. That perspective is the key characteristic that will allow us to see our work. It will see everything that we've been given in time, money, our body, our family, and the gospel itself. You'll see it differently if you see him as Lord and if you see him as the one who's entrusted it to you. Because you don't work for yourself. You're working for him. Just like, just like me with the Nordines. I completely changed my perspective because I was missing the idea that I was going to have to give an accounting for my work to them. Well, he continues, see, I've gained five more. Verse 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Do you see the interconnectedness there? Do you see how that works? Right? What what you're doing in this one area, it's going to overflow into many more. Come and share in your master's happiness. The uh, The man with two talents also came. Look how he responds. What's he call him? Master, who does he blame for the entrusting? God, do you see it's, it's the same language? That's my point to us. Like when we evaluate those who came with the return to give back to the master, what was it that was going through their heads that allowed them to do that? Number one, it was how they saw their master. You've entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. 
Same word that's given up as a recognition in the earlier servant's report. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. What, what was the characteristic that caused this man to bury it in the dirt? It was how he viewed the one he was working for. I'm hoping this is sinking in for you. Because as we've studied stewardship, we've looked at it. We've dissected it, right? I mean, we have really dug in to find out how does it all work. But we're going to miss everything. We're going to miss everything if we don't start with that primary perspective that our stewardship is actually worship. Because it's affected. It's controlled. It's determined. The way we steward things will be defined by how we view who God is. And who we are in light of who he is. And so here's the, re- the re- result, verse 26. His master replied, you wicked, la- lazy servant. You knew I harvest where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money in deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Same exact consequence that we saw back in Matthew chapter 7. Because the primacy of the gospel, meaning how we view our relationship with God, will determine everything else. You guys with me on this? Give me, give me an amen if you're with me. On this. So wrapping this up then, what, what should we do? What does worshiping as a steward, what does it look like? Right, if that's what we are, right? We've been through this 11-week series on stewardship, right? Okay, I granted. I guess that's what I am. So what, what would it look like in my life to be that? Number one, it looks like servitude, which I know I spelt wrong. <laughs> servitude is spelled a little different than that. That's, that's not what I mean. I mean a servant's attitude. So what word do you get if you take the word servant and attitude and you squish them together? You get that word right there, a servitude. Here's what I mean. Church, you'll be able to worship. You'll be able to worship in your stewardship if you think of yourself with the attitude of a servant. That's who I am. I'm a servant. If you look back with me now in 1 Corinthians 14, let's just turn back there real quick. 1 Corinthians, did I say 14? I meant 4. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4. What did, what did Paul say as he's talking to the church? Men ought to regard us as what? Servants. That is what we are. Um, there's very often that I'll be uh, down in my office working hard and uh, trying not to be distracted. And um, Emily will have made some lunch or, or even dinner. And she'll, br- she'll bring it down to me. I got the sweetest wife there is. It's incredible. And you know what she does? She, she puts a secret ingredient in it. Do you know what, do you know what ingredient? And it goes in all the food. It goes in, goes in the meat, goes in the potatoes, goes in the dessert. Do you know what secret ingredient she puts in? Oh. Yo, you know, you, did she make something for you? <laughs> you know she puts love into it. She'll take a little piece of paper towel. She'll fold it over. Right? She'll set it underneath. She'll get the carrots lined up and bring it down to me. And of course, I'm like, thanks. 
I had opportunity uh, to watch uh, Sadie yesterday, and um, so I got to cook for her. And do you know how I cooked for her? With McDonald's. That's how I what, what is it that my wife is doing that, that is blessing me in that moment? Do you know what she's doing? She's actually viewing herself in her service of stewarding her family as though she was a what? As though she was a servant. Now, I've been in churches for years and years. And you know what? We're going to have uh, coming up before Easter, we're going to have a spring cleaning day. Woo! Spring cleaning, right? Now, over the years, I have seen, uh, I have seen there be a change in, in some people. I, I, I can remember my very first, very first spring cleaning, I got yelled at so bad here, and, and I don't, we don't need to revisit that, but that's not happened since. You, you know why? My hope is because as you come here to work, you come here to what? I come here to actually serve. Now, now who, who bats a thousand on this? How are you guys doing? Church member? Any, anybody every time? Or is God still working at you in this? Right? Because hopefully you've signed up on the clipboard. Hopefully you've got some role to play here. In fact, I know what it's like those mornings when it's just like the kids are going crazy or that I've just had the longest night and I can't think straight. And oh, what? I'm signed up to teach Sunday school? Like, yeah, those, those days are going to happen to you. And how do you respond in those moments? Because it's the why you go about doing it. It's the how you go about doing it that matters so much more than the what you're actually doing. And so if we're going to worship the Lord through being stewards, we need to be servants. And as you've uh, seen me put every, almost every single week as the primary application, just put Jesus first in your life. If you do that one thing in every aspect of your life, there is no greater counsel bang for its buck than I can offer you than put God first. If you do that one thing so much in your life, will just start to get corrected. That you'll begin to get into the stream of the current of God to flow faster and in the right direction. You're not going to be fighting against those currents if you put God first. And so I believe that's what it means. To have the attitude of a servant means to put God first. Number two, what, what do we do? What does it look like? Well, check your heart. I've been kind of saying that already, but look with me back into the text one more time. Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged. Why? Because it is the Lord who will judge. Middle of verse 5, he will, he will bring to light what's hidden in the darkness and will expose the motive of men's hearts. Does your Bible say that? Do you guys have that there too? God's going to expose the motives of your hearts? So what do you think you should probably be working on then? Yeah, like that's, I'm not making that up. That's what the Bible says. And so if, if this is true, if the Bible's accurate at this, I do need to make sure that when it comes time to serve, when it comes time to steward whatever God's given me, that I don't do it begrudgingly or under heavy compulsion or with anger or spite. Here are your, here's your carrots. <laughs> no, but I do it by checking my heart. Why am I doing this? Why am I the one who God has put in this place and if if he's chosen me to do to do this work for him i need to make sure that my motives are pure in that because god's going to bring it to justice he's going to judge us every one of us which i don't want to allow us to just read matthew 25 and miss the carrot remember we looked at the stick a little bit there right but there's a reward too if you jump down at the end of verse 5 do you see what it says after he exposes the motives of men's hearts he says at that time each one will receive a shellacking is that what it says What's it say at the end of verse 5? This is critical for us. Each one will receive his 
praise from God. That's incredible. In fact, as we studied last week, do you remember on giving? Don't, don't do your righteous acts in front of men to be rewarded or seen by them, right? Why? Because God is ready to give rewards. I mean, that can, do you guys know what it's like on like birthdays with your kids or Christmas? How many of you enjoy watching your kids open presents? Be honest. Like 10 of you? Come on. Everybody? Yes. Like that's the... Just as a parent, I just love those moments. I love being able to bless my kids. And to reward them in the way characterized by what they've done or their own little attitudes. Looking for those ways that they are unique and special to me and communicating that through my relationship with them. God wants to do the same thing with us. He's looking forward to rewarding you. And so don't let the motive only be, i got to check my heart, otherwise I'm going to hit with a stick. No, no, not just that. The carrot's there as well. Because the text tells us, then you will receive his praise from God. All right, lastly, what what does it look like? This is a big one. This alone is worth a 40-minute sermon right here, right? What does worshiping as a steward look like? This is a tough one, guys. It looks like faithfulness. Looks like faithfulness. And I get it. I know that there's a lot going on in our lives. I mean, anyone with kids, my goodness. Anyone with little kids, pray for them, right? Because life is full and busy and only getting fuller and busier. And so like to think about working for God, to think about serving God, sometimes for some of us is like, that is the total last thing on my mind. Well, God wants to use you. He's gifted you. He has equipped you in a way unique from the people sitting across from you. You have a very special, unique role in the family right here in our church and for the purpose of what the gospel looks like to the rest of the world. But it's going to require faithfulness. He's entrusted you with these things. He's given you these things. And so you you and I, we have opportunity by looking at our, our, our stewardship as worship because we're doing this for the right reasons. We can begin to look like, and this is incredible, we can begin to look like God. Do you know why? Because God is faithful. There's this amazing verse in uh, 2 Timothy. Paul says, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And so I want you to see back in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says in verse 2, now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And here's the amazing things. I'm wrapping up on this. When you do this, do you know who you look like? You look like your father. It's awesome. Same is true with money, by the way, too. Right? When we are generous, who do we look like? We look like the God who's generous. When we work to bless our coworkers, which for some of us is like, that sermon again? I heard it every week. <laughs> you look like your father who blesses you. And so in my life, this is what I looked like uh, as that teenager. And it occurred to me, I also just so happened to look like someone else who doesn't use his ear protection. (laughs) That was the influence of my dad in my life and my willingness to listen to him, my willingness to follow his leadership in my life that then changed me, transformed me. And sure enough, I looked a lot like him. In fact, so much so, snow, uh, so the other day, uh, when we get that snowfall, whatever the last one was, um, I, was I was plowing over at, 
at mom's and if you've ever plowed in March or late season, some of you know that the snow gets a little icy, right? So instead of having this nice, beautiful furrow that turns over, it's this chunky, rocky ice. And so I made this, what was my last pass, my last pass through, and I looked back, and a bunch of the ice had fallen off and into the road, and I sat there, and, and this is over in my mom's land. No one's driving there. No one's driving there. This isn't for a neighbor. No one would ever know. But I'm sitting there thinking... My dad would know. <laughs> and, I, and I fought that for like 10 minutes being like, this is stupid, right? This is stupid. It's fine. No, it's going to melt. doesn't matter. But eventually, you know what I did? Yeah. I got the plow back and I cut one more path just to make it look the way it was supposed to look. And, and I did that. I did that because of my dad. It, it's a kind of faithfulness, maybe to the way that he invested in me. But this is my challenge to you. God has made you a steward of many, many good things. God has entrusted to you this vessel, this body, a family to serve, the gospel to preserve. He's given you a lifetime with an hourglass that's dropping right now. We don't know how much more. He's given you abilities, energy, intuition, strength to serve him. He's given you resources, not to just serve your own needs, many for your own needs, but more than you need. To be a blessing to those who need it more than you. And you and I will do well to steward those when we see him as our master and us as servants. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.